0: Love, Hope, Radio. When I would do good,
1: evil is always present with me. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of death. Thanks be to God in Christ Jesus. I'm ready for the fight of my life.
0: Start the record.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner.
0: And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson.
1: 2011, we finally made it back.
0: Happy New Year. Yes, sir,
1: 2011. i tell you what, we have an exciting, exciting guest tonight. He's on fire. And, uh, Brian, I'm just excited to have him back.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, his brother is going to give us some good information, we're going to have a wonderful time, it's always good when we have the brothers on here fellowshipping, so I think we're going to have a great show, I know we are, matter of fact.
1: Yes sir, yes sir, and if you have a pen and a pad, sit by, <laughs> because I'm sure you're going to take a lot of notes, because we're going to be all over the place tonight.
0: <laughs> absolutely. You know, Greg, I want to start the new year off by doing something just a little different, you know, for a a number of weeks and months last year we tried to put everybody in uh in mind of the issues that were going on in Haiti as it relates to the hurricane to the uh uh I'm sorry not hurricane to the earthquake but now i want you i want to put you in the mindset of winning you know and i'm going to talk about this for the next couple of weeks you know it's 2011 And, you know, Greg and I, we talk about this all the time. You know, if you're doing the same thing, looking for a different result, that is the definition of insanity. And so in 2011, we want you to try something a little different and see how it works for you. You know, if you're trying to lose weight and you're still eating that extra pack of cookies a day, cut back off those cookies, you know. If you're trying to get focused enough to... Get your schoolwork done. Take ten extra minutes and study. You know, do something a little different from what you did last year. And you know, call us. Let us know how your results are. Hit us up on Facebook. Email us. You know, let us know because we want to help you. That's what we're about. But Greg, we got a great show tonight. And Greg, I want to start. Up. I want to do something a little different. I want you to introduce our guest tonight.
1: <laughs> I tell you what, he's an exciting. We're going to say best-selling author because that's what he's going to be. Absolutely. And we're also going to talk about his wife a little bit, Brian. We have to acknowledge her because uh, beside every great man, there is an awesome and awesome woman of God, a woman that's going to be with him. Uh, tonight we have our special guest, Mr. Moss. Mr. Moss, are you there?
0: Well, actually, Greg, i got to unmute him. <laughs> I didn't know you were I'm ready true. to open him up that quick.
1: Hey, I'm ready to bring him in already. John, are you there?
0: Yep, I'm there. I'm here, Brian. It's good
2: to oh, be wow. on the show. Hey, yes, I'm sure brother.
1: you heard what I yeah, I'm, Mr. Moss, I'm sure you heard me uh, say something about your wife. You know, we have to acknowledge the First Lady.
2: Oh, yeah. My my wife, she is my wife, my muse, everything. So that I'm very thankful for. And her name is Trania,
1: <laughs> Greg. Good to
2: me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's kind of yeah. an inside joke for everybody, but uh mr Mars, he he know where we're coming from with this uh, you know what when when you started writing this book the retreat that's the uh topic for tonight the retreat mm-hmm. where did you where did that topic come in at I mean, did you think of that? did God give it to you um how did you come up with that?
2: well, the retreat is um, inspired by my first men's retreat I ever went to, and it was at the time in which I was in college or coming out of college, and like most college students, I was broke, and I couldn't afford to pay to go to the retreat. But some brothers of the church blessed me with a scholarship, and I got a chance to go, and it was an eye-opening experience because up until that point, my definition of what a man was was the definition that society has which was in complete contrast, for the most part, of how God defines a man. And that's what I understood, that how God defines a man is very different in the world. And if you strive to be a man of God, then the results that you will have at the end of the day will be extraordinary. And we would have much stronger communities and much stronger homes as a result of that definition. So it was inspired by it, and I was like, you know what, I haven't seen or read a story about this. This is something that's important for people to know, not just for for it to minister to men, but for women who try and understand what goes through our minds and, you know, think think that we're complete complex characters. It gives an understanding of the type of pressures and the type of challenges that we deal with on the day-to-day grind.
1: Mm. You know what, and I'm glad you said you mentioned the women because they need to be included in this. This is not a game. We're not trying to keep men's secrets and women's secrets. We're not trying to do that. Um, love. It's not a game, and you hear so many times one side bickering back and forth with the other. The women helping, you know, telling her things that she should do in her situation, and the men telling the in, in, in the in the man's ear telling him things that he needs to do, and no one. Uh, wants to come to that common ground. No one wants to sit down and and reveal what they really feel. It's like they're always holding something back and thinking that the person that they love, it, you know, it, it's like they're treating them as an enemy, and and it shouldn't be that way. And what what have you learned uh, from the women when you tell them the things that you tell them?
2: Well, what I've learned in general, and you made an excellent point, Greg, is that. A lot of that a lot of our issues when it comes to our interactions with women and just in interaction deal in general deals with our fear of being vulnerable. See, as men, the one of the definitions that we have is that we're supposed to look impervious to pain and to trials. We're supposed to just shake everything off and that's the expectation that's set and that's the expectation that we break our necks to try and meet. But really, there's nothing wrong with being vulnerable to the woman that you love and to and to your fellow brother because that's part of this whole experience of life is learning how to be able to be comfortable to deal with whatever issues is going on and be able to talk to someone and not try and cover it up and hide it. So when I talk with the women I try and let them know what some of the things that really pressure man and what they try to deal with trying try to overcome and a mindset that has been going on for generations and generations that has
0: so many ways corrected mm. Wow you know that I, I think that's so important like Greg said you know to include women in it and you know my my take on that is that you know if you don't shore up both sides of the boat you know you're going to tip over. You know one side's going to tip. You know and yeah. when you're dealing with relationships, you know, when you're dealing with uh with men are just trying to understand women and women trying to understand men, you know, we're never going to be able to truly understand each other. But if we could at least get to a common ground of what's the word I'm looking for? mutual understanding. I guess that's the yeah. word. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. But I and I think if we get to that mutual understanding of each other, you know, cuz I know like in 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 my personal life, you know, there are certain things that people don't know about me and I don't know about them and you know, once they learn that about me, oh, that's the reason he's the way he is. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. then it makes it easier for them to interact with me, makes me makes it easier for me to interact with them. You know, for example, like, I don't drink anymore. I used to drink a long time ago, but I don't anymore. So people that don't really know me that well, you know, they may say, hey, let's go out for a drink, and I'll say, no, thank you. You know, and they're like, what, you don't drink? You know what I mean? Because they'll see me as being a fun, you know, happy-go-lucky guy, and they say, you don't drink, but you're, you're so much fun, and you like to, you know, have fun and do all these things. And i was like, yeah, but, you know, there's something you don't know about me. I don't drink. <laughs> You know, yeah. And so I think once we once we learn that about each other, you know, and again, that's another thing you talk about is being, you know, a real man. Most men assume that oh, you're, you know, you're a man, you're grown, you're 21, you get to drink, you know, and that's sort of that false sense of coming to your manhood that now you can chug a beer because you're a man, you know, you're grown, and you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and, I mean, yeah, and it's it's one of those things where, um,
2: you know, there's the, there's the part where you're a man and, you know, you can drink and you're a man, you don't cry and you're a man, you don't turn down nothing. If a woman is offering you something, then, you know, you better be a man to handle that. And all of that does not get to the heart of what a true man is, and a true man is one of character and integrity. And that's what it really comes to down to and is one that takes responsibility for his actions. And what we have today is we have a lot of people who are of legal age where technically you can say they are a man, but they don't want to take responsibilities for their action and they want to blame and point the fingers. And unfortunately, not enough good men who are the definition of what a true man is are being recognized for it And it's, it's it's interesting because earlier When I was on my way to work I was listening to Steve Harvey and he was talking about How a lot of the men Who are with women Who have children from previous relationships That step into the role And feel that void of being a father How they don't get as much credit or recognition As they deserve And that's where a lot of that comes from
1: Is it? Let, let me ask you this Is it Safe to say that a lot of men really just don't know what they should know to be a man Or they don't know how to love and they don't know how to uh, effectively communicate with the opposite sex Or anytime it comes with affection A lot of men, uh, is it that they just, you know, they were never taught this
2: or or what do you think it is? Well, I think it's a combination of things I think the problem is so intense and so troubling that you can't just point to one source of it. I think it's part of lack of a model and an example of basically showing of them showing what a man is. I think, unfortunately, as much as women, single mothers have tried to fill the role of two parents, that plays as a part as well, because there's only so much that a woman can show a young boy in being a man but it's a lot different when it's a father and father or a father figure that's showing a young boy how to be a man and I just think that a lot of us have a lot of us have gotten because we're so competitive and because we're so territorial and because we're so ambitious in nature, if we go through life where we've experienced disappointments and we kind of resign for whatever dreams we have, we don't take on the responsibility of trying to teach other men there's not people that mail examples around to really show you how to navigate through the different stages of life. And that's where we run into a lot of problems. I mean, being a true man is a challenge. And I remember hearing Bishop T.D.J. say that a lot of men die not even coming close to being a man. So it's a number of things.
1: Mm. Yeah. Wow.
0: You know, I want to talk a little bit about the book. Tell us about um, The Retreat. And I'm going to read a little bit about what I know about The Retreat. It's a story of four men who embark on a Christian retreat to get back on track, and they face tough facts about themselves and their choices. You know, you talked a little bit about uh, what inspired the book. Now, tell us a little bit, without giving out too much information on the book, Tell us a little bit about the the characters in the book.
2: Well, the characters in the book are four men, and each man
0: represents a different
2: uh aspect of manhood and a different aspect of relationship. Whether it's a man's responsibility to his family or a man's responsibility to his his job or a man's responsibility to his brother, each man represents some some type of definition and example of the contrast between society's definition and his definition of society's definition, and God's definition of manhood. So these four men are from different walks of life, and under normal circumstances, they would never interact. But on this baby weekend, their lives and their destinies collide, and they basically find out a lot about where they are, who they are, where they want to be, and what is their responsibilities to their brother, to their community. Hmm. Hmm. And, and and you know Yeah, I you know I'm in I'm in Southern Cal, so the yellow bird just flew right above me. So I hope I didn't I hope you was able to hear what I said.
1: Yeah, yeah, we
2: heard
1: you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, I I was gonna ask you, uh in in some parts of the book. So anytime you see black men together a lot of times, people think and you know the shows on television. They think, oh, that they're about to go, they're up to something, or they're just dogging out women, and they're you know they're just doing filthy things. And you know, a lot of times, what, that's just what people think when we get together. Now, yeah, what about yeah, and what what I want to talk, ask you, what about in your book, what about the guys that are trying to choose the right path? What happens in the book when they try to do that?
2: Well, you know, like with, um, with everything in life, and like what the scripture talks about with Paul, when I want to do right, evil seems to be always present. So mm-hmm. that's where a lot of these characters find themselves in, is that they want to do right, and the temptation to do wrong, the temptation to not follow the right path is so strong that, them coming to this retreat and being able to be naked and bare in front of their brother is they're crying out for help. Like, I don't want to mess up. I don't want to lose the, everything that I hold dear. But how How do I continue to go down this path with all these different things that are trying to tear me down? And that's where they find themselves. And we also deal also deal with the whole thing of, yeah, what goes ghosts do. What goes through uh, people's minds when they hear about a bunch of guys getting together? Everything from, oh, yeah, they probably dogging out women and probably, you know, talking about this and that to, I don't know, a bunch of men getting together, you know, being uh, being open about their emotions that sound a little, you know, suspect. So, you know, I also deal with the um, homophobic aspect of mm-hmm. men getting together for a retreat as well. Yeah, yeah.
1: And that's not. sad. That that That's really sad because, you know, we're, we're all, I, I, in, in going to the gym, going to the barbershops, men it, listen to their conversations. A lot of them are seeking. They're seeking something. They want to know something. They want to better themselves. But on the outside, I think we're portrayed to be these animals, which we're not. You may see one or the you know, you may see one or two knuckleheads doing something out on television that they shouldn't be doing, somebody getting arrested or murdering somebody. That's one or two individuals. that That's not who we are. That's something that somebody yeah. is. Yeah. You
2: know, do you and, have to deal with like that? Oh, yeah. And, in fact, um, one of my characters, without going too much into it, is pretty much a, a single father. And that's something that we don't see enough of in movies, in stories, in books. We see the single mother where the father up and left for whatever reason and her struggles, but in this story you see what about the single men because I know a lot of single, single men that are fathers and they still hold down the responsibility of being fathers and they hold down the financial responsibility of, even though they're single and they're not with anyone, they're still living in a two-bedroom apartment or a two-, three-bedroom house so that when their kids come over, they can have their own room. They don't have to sleep in the living room. And they're working and they're providing for their families. That's something that gets overlooked too often, and that's something that I acknowledge in the book
0: as well. Wow. Now, you're absolutely right. That is something that actually gets overlooked and, you know, and, and not really focused on much at all, to be honest.
2: No. We've seen, I mean, you know, we've seen the, the stories of, you know, basically the no good man. I mean, you know, uh, the waiting to exhale stories, the stories where basically we see men portrayed in a poor light. And it's like, you know, there's a flip side to the coin. And there are men who every day, Handle their responsibility. They don't handle their responsibility to receive any type of awards or accolades. They do it because they have the character and integrity inside. That's like, look, I'm going to handle mine. My father may not be around, but may not have been around when I was growing up, but I'm going to be there for my kids, and my kids are not going to go without one, without their wants and needs being met. So I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do it to appease the girl, to appease their mother. Her and I may not have worked out. I'm going to be respectful, and but at the same time, I'm not going to let her stand in my way from being the father that I never had. I'm going to break this cycle, starting with me. I'm going to take a stand and be a man and go out and do what I need to do. And that's what we need to see more, because there are a lot more men doing that in this day and age than what the media will portray.
0: You know, I, I never really understood how a a person, you know, and I'm not going to pick on men or anything by saying this, but I couldn't understand how a person, uh, whether they had a parent in their life or not, could ever neglect a child. You know, especially in that child didn't ask to come here. Child ain't got nothing to do with how they got here. You know, but... for for a person to just decide, oh, I'm not going to, you know, entertain this child because uh, maybe I don't like their mama or maybe, you know, maybe we're not getting along the way I think we should. You know what I mean? To me, that just sounds like that person is very selfish. Well, yeah, and that's what it goes back to. And, I mean, you know, Brian, Greg, I know
2: in the vast majority of men, I know just this way, is that when we look at life, we look at when I get to the end of my days, what is my, what is my life going to say back to me? What am I going to say, you know what, this is what I did with the short amount of time I had with my life, that I went out and pursued this sport and pursued this career and built this home and built this life that I can look back on and be proud. And the whole idea of parenting means that you decrease and you make the sacrifice to pour into someone else. A child. And I think when you find yourself in a position where you're going to be a parent, you start to really think about okay, how far along the road am I with what I want to accomplish with life? That now I have this responsibility. And I think a lot of men don't want to take that. They don't want to take that sacrifice. I think. Having a child a lot of times will make both a man and a woman think about where they are in life and where they're trying to go and how that child now factors in. For some of them, it doesn't. For some of them, they make a choice. Either I'm going to be happy and free and continue to pursue my life, or I'm going to pretty much resign to working a regular job, providing for this kid, dealing with this person who I kind of sort of like.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, now, what about the, the the man that wants to do all of that, but the mother chose to abort the child?
2: Yeah, that you, one. And the is... reason I say
1: that you hear, yeah, and the reason I say that. Sorry to cut you off, John. But the reason I say that is that's not the the piece that people talk about. It's always the father, pretty much. And what about yeah. that father that's hurting, that has, you know, he he was given no, um, he, he couldn't make any decisions at all because the child is not in him, it's in her. So she decides
2: to go and abort that child. Greg, he, you, you know bring up saying, a, yeah, no, no, you bring up an excellent, you bring up an excellent question. And I sort of touched on that in my first book, uh, My Father's House, where one of my characters went through an abortion and her boyfriend, her sort of boyfriend, didn't even know because one of the things that I've also seen that I find very disturbing is that there are a lot more women that are getting pregnant and are pretty much making the decision that, you know what, this person who I'm pregnant by isn't someone that I really want to build a family with, that I really see myself being with, that I really shouldn't have been serious and sexually active with. I'm just going to go ahead and make the decision to have the abortion and not let them know because there's no sense in it because that relationship really didn't mean much. Or I'm going to make the decision to go ahead and have the child and not even talk to them, let them know, because I don't want to get my hopes up that there's going to be a family of of the father and the mother being in the picture when there's not. And that's one of the disturbing things that we see, and all of that goes back to all of that goes back to generations of wrong thinking, backwards thinking that has really corrupted a lot of us. Yes,
1: well, let me ask you also i I want to touch on this too. I don't know if Brian had a question or not, but
0: I no, want to touch ahead.
1: on this what about the way that the little girls are now being raised? Are they being given the proper tools to know how to be a wife? Do you think we're no.
2: lacking in that right now? Oh definitely unfortunately you know i'm a I'm a teacher um by day, and unfortunately, I know too many young ladies that are very the age of sixteen and already are mothers, so they're becoming. Mothers before they even learn how to become women before they even learn how to become wise, and when you look at their parents or you look at the people or lack of parent present in their life, you see that no they're not getting the they're not being taught you know of their value and really that's where a lot of it comes to of their value because yeah they they're they're not getting they're not getting that, and the guys are not getting what they need and That's one of the reasons why the Scripture deals with the importance of there being a man and a woman because each, as unique, and Brian talked about this early, how we'll never fully understand each other because there's differences in how we think and how we live. But together, if we build a family, those differences and those uniqueness, if we pour that into a child, we can raise a child the right way and that child can understand the values but no they're not getting that and unfortunately there's generations and generations of teen pregnancy in which you've got grandmothers that haven't even reached the age of 40 that are now in the position of being a grandmother it's real it's, it's real it's disturbing and it's one of those things where there has to be a, a seismic change and the seismic cause call for us to try and really rethink our values because I think part of it is that we've gotten away from values. We've gotten so caught up in not wanting to seem preachy and seem um, religious and seem like we're trying to control that we never drew. We never drew a line of sin saying you can't, can't go this far. And now the lines are blurred so people are doing all kinds of things that will just Shake, cause you
0: to shake your hands. Absolutely, brother. And, and you know, and surprisingly, you know, I, I think you might be off a couple of years when you say 40. <laughs> I think it's more like 34, yeah. 35, 36, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's
2: the third one. 40 is me being, um, me trying to be generous, but, yeah, that is one of, the disturbing things is that the trends that you know, big mama is a, a thing of the past. My, I thank God for my um, grandmother who's eighty five years old to you know be able to see my son, but she is last of a dying breed because you know as my as my mother will say, she like look, I'm young, I'm, I like to get my nails done. <laughs> She's like I'm not yeah. a big mama, I'm a I'm a new generation grandmother, and you know that's where.
0: I'm um, Mimi. The <laughs> there's um, no more Big Mama now. It's Mimi. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah. That's that's exactly that's exactly what it is. So yeah, there's just a there's just a problem in in general. And I mean, when you add the social economics of places that are underdeveloped, places that are impoverished, places where education is not the force first and foremost, where Things of that nature, you add that factor, you have a child that grows up where the parent that they have isn't really wasn't really mature in becoming a parent. One parent is gone, and everything they see around them is a lack, and that is not just only disturbing but that is very scary, so that's why there needs to be in all areas us putting forth a message of not only hope but a message that inspires. The child and say, you know what, that may have been the case, and I don't have nothing to do with how I got here, but I'm here, and I'm going to make something myself, and I'm going to make my life of value and of worth.
1: Hmm. And I I, I wanted to know, you being a teacher, what are your uh, reactions and things that you're dealing with when you're dealing with families now. Based on one of your students what 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 kind of interaction do you have? Is it mother father there, or is it just one parent um and is that parent taking up for the child more so than just trying to figure out what's really going on do you do you have those issues?
2: Well, I work with um, special needs children, so I work okay. with children with emotional disturbances and and as well as learning disabilities and things of that nature, so I see everything from yeah a father being there, no mother, to a mother, no father, to a big sister, to, you know, a foster parent, to lawyers, to everything, and all of it just, all of it will just make you cringe because in the middle of that is a child that is very much angry, a child that very much feels as though no one loves them and that those that are around are looking to try and see what they can get advantage because, yeah. Okay. Well, if I take on this child, yeah, I'm going to give myself a check. So an extra check in the in the in the equation helps out. And I think that's where they see. They don't see themselves, you know, as as people. They see themselves as a commodity. And that's what I see now. The times that I see a real parent, I mean, it makes me want to stand up. <laughs> I, you know, I. I saw I I saw a parent who pretty much told their child they are gonna make something of themselves, they have goals, they're gonna stay on them to achieve them, and if they play around and, you know, mess around and it was a male, then they gonna put them in they're gonna sign them up for the service. But one thing for sure, they're not gonna be running the streets. <laughs> so I thought, Wow, now that's rare. <laughs> yeah.
0: That might have been my dad.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm like, when have you heard that? I mean, you know, what, what happened right. to the parents that were like, Boy, I swear before the Lord if you do this <laughs> yeah, And you knew I mean, that they were swearing before the Lord that yeah, you asked us, you cut up, that's it. You know, they it's a lack of accountability.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, and and I and I, I think that parent was right on point. You know, you have to have this wonderful thing that we call rules, and then you have to stick to those rules because if you cr- if you have a rule and you don't stick to it, kids know right away. Oh, they're just gonna break their own rule, and well, I'm gonna break the rule too, you know. Mm-hmm. And we sort of we sort of teach our kids that when we let them slide on certain things, when we let them get by, you know, and when they know that they're supposed to do this and they don't do it, and we say, oh, don't worry about it. You know, next time make sure you do it. You know, we sort of give them that, that green light to say, oh, well, I don't have to do it. You know why? Because they're not going to make me do it next time either.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I mean, that's what it is, is that there needs to be a stance where these are the rules. You break them, you got to own up to them. That's a part of, you know, learning how to be um, responsible and learning how to transfer that into life where, you know, okay, I showed up late, I continue to show up late, I'm not going to have a job, I don't pay my bills on time, I'm going to have trouble having keeping my lights on and keeping food, food in the refrigerator, you know, that's where the transition is, but everything is pretty much come down to, okay, well, if I, you know, beg and plead or if I ask in a certain, you know, slick way or, you know, or have a fit, then I'm going to get what I want. And then that generation grows up to say, you know what, there's no sense in me going out and getting it where I can just wait, fill out some papers from the government and it'll come to me.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, and, I mean, that's something I stay on, you know, I stay on my my students' about. I really care about them learning. And, you know, when they cut up, I'm like, listen, you're either going to learn it here because please believe, if I see you on the streets, I'm not buying DVDs from you. I'm not buying Boulay movies from you. I'm not buying anything from you because if you don't have an education, your options in life become extremely limited. Absolutely.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: What kind of reactions are you getting from your customers as far as reading the books and and people in the church that you attend and your friends and your family members? What are they saying?
2: Well, the reactions... (laughs) We're getting right going to go into a whole nother area. <laughs> All right, so get we ready. Um get the reactions the reactions that I'm getting from readers is a true overwhelming blessing. There are people who are reading the book that don't normally read Christian fiction and are loving it. My reviews are coming out excellent. There are people who are being very thankful that they got a chance to read about men that are women. There are men that are very thankful that there's a story that is telling the truth and showing a different side to him, and showing a side that rings true to a lot of men. And overwe- it's just overwhelming. Like, I can not ask for anything more with the results of the book, and I'm very thankful to God as far as him choosing me to, to tell this story and that story coming into fruition and just the response. The response has been phenomenal. I don't know what the... uh been with um, some of the churches because unfortunately in a lot of churches today, in most churches today, there's a whole lot of idol worshiping going on with the pastors, and it kind of becomes a situation where unless the pastor endorses it, then the members of the bookstore, the members of the congregation, they could pretty much do without it, and that's where the problem is. So. I'm looking forward to hearing feedback from people in churches, but unfortunately where you would think a Christian fiction novel would receive a lot of support from the church, that's where, you know, find it somewhat lacking. Mm. Yeah. Well, that I did just
0: go definitely there. a Because <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't one I was expecting, but you know, when you think about it, you're you're absolutely right. You know, you do have that that thing where if the pastor does not endorse it, you know, or or does not say, hey, you know, y'all need to read this book, that many churches as a whole they won't read it. They'll they'll follow exactly what he says is good reading or good, you know, viewing material, you know. And that's not a that's not a necessarily that's not necessarily a knock on the pastor, as it is uh, on the people who follow him. You know, because, you know, I know if it's, it's, you know, let's say it's our pastor. And pastor says, hey, this is a great book. I think y'all should read it, you know. Now, if he says, no, this isn't a good, I don't, in my opinion, this isn't a good book, you know, that's not going to make me not want to read it because that may just be his preference. But many people don't think like that. No, you no, know, they don't read it, I'm not reading it, you know? And yeah. they sort of go with it. And to yeah. me I think and you limit yourself when you do that.
2: And see what you have, Brian, is something that a lot of people that are going to church does not have. You have a healthy belief system and what happens is if you are so connected to the pastor where if the pastor say it's gold, it's gold, and the pastor say it's not gold, it's not gold. And unless the pastor is praying for me, I don't want minister so-and-so praying for me. I want the pastor. I want, you know, this person. I want, you know, sit up under the pastor. I want to call the pastor. I want the pastor to come over and do all that. All that is putting too much of man in your relationship with God. And that's where you run into a lot of problems. And that's something that is a recurring theme in a lot of my stories is have a healthy relationship you know, a healthy faith relationship where, you know, your relationship is not connected to man because man will man will fall. I mean, you know, when uh, a couple of months ago when that whole scandal came up with Bishop A Long, I'm sure there was a whole lot of people that probably fell right on their face was like, oh man, my faith is destroyed because their faith was probably all placed into Bishop A Long now. There was probably a lot of people that was like, look, regardless of if what happened is true or not, I'm going to continue to pray for them. If it's a lie, then let it come to light. If it's the truth, then I'm going to pray that God restores them. But I'm still going to worship God because Jesus Christ is my Savior. Not Bishop A. Long, not Bishop Drake, not Joel Osteen, not any of these ministers are saviors. It is Jesus Christ. Everyone is as human beings, we all need redemption, we all need grace and our righteousness, our self-righteousness is as filthy rags so that's where I try and convey a lot in my stories is that you are of value and you don't have to place all your faith, you don't have to place all your faith into one individual, one minister for your spiritual growth
0: you know and I I'm glad you say that, because I know a lot of people, well, I, don't, I won't say a lot of people, but I know there are a, a few people who, as soon as something goes on in the church, the first thing they say, see, I told you, I told you, that's why I don't go to church, or that's why I don't deal yeah. with church folks. You know, and it's yeah. immediately, as soon as one person in the church, or one person of faith, you know, messes up, it's an indictment on the whole body. And, you know, it, it's sort of, it was very unfair because you know you know, sinner and savior alike uh, or sinner and saved alike, we're gonna mess up. Yeah. You know, we're not gonna be absolutely perfect and that's just a, that's just I mean, that's just it. You're not gonna yeah, be yeah. perfect. But if you know the ones that are so quick to, to indict the body of Christ because of the dealings of one person, you know. Yeah. And that's because
2: a lot of people their biggest issue with with God and with faith does not come down to the people of the church. That's a mass and a ploy, but really it's because they don't want to be held accountable for their life. Because once you decide to go to God, that's pretty much saying me in control of my life was not working. I want to place my faith in you and let you guide and direct me. And a lot of people don't want to be that. I mean, you hear all the time, you've heard for years, oh, I want to go to church. Church is nothing but a fashion show. are you looking at what everyone's wearing. You're supposed to be going to get the word. Your job is a fashion show. That won't stop you from going to get your check. There's hypocrites, yeah. at your job. you still going to clock <laughs> in and go to work.
0: Every day. I mean, that.
2: you know, it's just those silly things that they say, oh, well, see, that's why I don't deal with church folks. Look, you go to get the word, and if the word is being taught, then the word is going to grow, and you're going to grow and better. I can care less, but, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of people that make that indictment, and it's just silly.
0: I'd agree.
1: Mm. But i tell you what, man, I, you you saying some stuff. <laughs> I, I'm sitting here writing notes. I've been taking you asked me if I was Sorry. ready. <laughs> <laughs> I, hey, you on it now. You're on it. Because uh, there's so many of our, um, of our youth, I'm not going to say male or female, just youth in general, um, not leaning on any one specific gender, but there's so much to learn. And I think what we do, what our, our youth are doing, and this is a race thing too, I think what they're doing is because they see uh, the white families, they think that the white families pretty much have it together and they want to be like them. And my thing to them is you don't have to try to be like the white family. You need to be yourself. And and, 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 and another thing too, I was asked. I'm like, who's to say that they have it together
2: yeah and you're right and in fact it's funny because one of the books i'm reading is um jonathan Franzen's um freedom and it deals with the middle class family that on the surface everybody's seeing them they're like wow you guys just seem perfect you guys are a way of hope but on the surface they have a lot of issues and it also goes back to generations of negative thinking i think we did a disservice at some point in history with how we taught our history because now a lot of youth that I talk with have this in their mind that, yeah, the white people that are living well, they're living well, they're right, and, you know, that's that's what it is. I'm born black, so everybody that I know that's successful either got success by selling their soul and being a part of some Illuminati or thing of that nature because that's what's real popular right now, or basically a hustler and a crook. So when they see a minister, if a minister of a church is broken or necessarily not rolling in a bench,
3: then they're like, oh,
2: I don't got nothing to say to him. He don't have anything to say to me because he broke. But if they see him in a Mercedes, oh, then he must have got it for being a crook. He must have got it because he over here scamming people or running game. And that's the negative thinking because pretty much it keeps us impoverished because – they pretty much tell. We're pretty much have a generation thinking that there's no way if you are an African American to attain success without either selling your soul or, or picking up a hustle. Wow.
1: Right, or sports, or the yeah. entertainment industry.
2: Yeah. You know, and the sad thing is. I don't have a problem with uh, somebody wanting to take on a sport, but you got a lot of kids that want to take on a sport and don't even know the amount of work that comes into it. I have a lot of students that or a lot of people that say, oh, I want to be like Kobe Bryant, LeBron James. I'm like, do you even know what their workout schedule is? No. No. <laughs> but then how do you even know what it takes to get to that level and what, they, what sacrifices they made and what challenges they had to overcome to get there? And you talking about you're gonna play on that on their highest level and be able to perform the way they perform. Kobe Bryant is shooting with with a broken finger and still scoring thirty points. That has something to do with talent and skill, but that also has something to do with discipline, hard work, determination, and being relentless.
1: It's the same with you, right? In your book, you have a lot of authors out there that that see your book, they see that cover. You have your your cover when you see it, it's like big time. This is serious. This is a really nice cover or whatever. And when people see that, yeah, oh, yeah. they, they When they see that, and, and thank the missus too. And when they see that, they, um, they, they see the glory part of it, the glitz and the glamour part of the, the finished product, but they don't know what you had to go through to write this book. They don't yeah. know what kind of distractions you were dealing with you know what I mean to, to to finish it, but everybody wants to to be the one to sign the autograph on the book and give it out, but they don't know what it took from the, for you to get started. They don't know how hard it was uh, if, if you were short on money or, or how you did it. The only thing that they see is the
2: finished product. Yeah, yeah. and you know that's that's what it is, and that's unfortunate is that you know we've forgotten we don't teach how. To do process because the results take care of itself. It's a process. It was a process of going out a lot of nights with very little sleep, rewriting, rewriting, reading, you know, sending it out, getting back feedback, and just really doing a whole lot of time studying scriptures and really trying to get home. That's the whole process. And, you know, that's one of the things that I try and impart to, you know, anybody that I talk to is Focus on the process because the results take care of itself. But the process, if you want to be an athlete or if you want to be a published author or an actor or a business person, the process comes from the hard work. And one of the things my my father raised me on is the concept that while everyone is asleep or sitting in the house watching TV, drinking lemonade, that's when you need to go to work because that's how you're going to gain. And And the second principle is if it was easy, Everybody be doing
1: it mm-hmm. That's, right. That's right And you know what too And and, and, I, and I hope that I didn't say anything to Discourage anyone from writing a book We're just being real We're just saying there are different things that you have to do It doesn't matter if it's a book Sports, uh, medicine It doesn't matter what it is And I think you You can probably back me up on this Is the process like you were saying People really don't understand that there is a process and what I learned uh anything that I want to do, I had to learn to respect the process. I had to learn to respect the learning process because you have to learn and and we get frustrated because we don't know, but if you think about it, you're doing something new, of course, you don't know it's something different,
2: yeah, yeah, and you know that's what it is, and you know that's unfortunately that's where our generation is is looking for that quick fix that instant instant um that instant gratification and it's not understanding that the success that you want comes at the end of long hours of you working and mastering your craft and really that's what moves me when i write stories i want to write something that moves people and people and like what the retreat is doing, what people say, you know what, this book has really had an effect on me and has really caused me to rethink life or I've really enjoyed it. I want to write something that changes people's lives, like how books have changed my lives. So because I'm motivated by that, I'm not saying, oh, I want to write a book so I can get a big contract and make money and, you know, pretty much live the good life. I'm not motivated by that. I'm motivated by Perfecting the story and giving truth and doing justice to the characters that I create in the, in my stories. That's what motivates me and push and pushes me and to get better and to continue to get better.
0: Absolutely, and I, and I think that's that's what separates writers from authors. <laughs> yeah. You know, because anybody yeah. can write a book. But it takes a special breed to author a book, and I know yeah. most people say, "Well, isn't that the same thing?" You know, in in the literary sense, it's the same thing. But in the in the in in Brian speak, <laughs> it means a whole bit. It means a huge difference, and you know, because I want own- somebody to care about, you know, the the reader. You know, so I want them. I want the writer to care ab- enough about me to work hard enough for me to really appreciate the book when I read it.
2: Yeah, because right now, you know, otherwise, especially with books, books aren't even dear and art, but so many books are being turned into movies. It's like, okay, otherwise I'll just wait and go pay $10 to see it at the movie, or better yet, get a three-for-ten deal from the Hustleman in between the fish market and the liquor store and watch mm-hmm. a movie on a bootleg of your story. So there has to be something that in which... You provide, and I do believe that novels provide something that not even in this great technology age age um, films can compete with. It offers a partnership between the writer and the reader in which I have created this story in my mind, and I'm going to commit to it to words. And basically, when you read it, it's going to reflect my imagination, and we're going to make a connection. With our imaginations and with our creativity, that's what books offer, and that's something that not even a three D film can offer.
0: Absolutely. That is, true. that is
1: so true. Now, now let's talk about the misses. We want to talk about her. We want to bring her okay. in because okay. I know
2: she. All right, how much more we have? Cause yeah, just <laughs> started. <the> <laughs> so what? i, I, I
1: was just say. go ahead. So, you know, I was just going to say how special and how powerful and how blessed are you to have someone like her to push Woo! you to have your back. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. To have your – and the reason I'm saying this is because a lot of brothers are missing out because they're afraid of getting married, and they don't really understand that there's nothing to be afraid
2: of. Yeah. It's funny because I go back to the um, night before I got married, and at the church I used to go to. Friday nights we went to church. Afterwards, one of the men, one of the deacons cut all our hair, and we went to Denny's. <laughs> and, you know, that was what our Friday nights were. And the night before I got married, it was the same thing. And one of the brothers was like, Do you know why you're getting married? And the way he asked, I was like, um, um, I'm sure you could tell me. And he said, because everything that God wants to do through you, he's going to pull out of her. That pretty much you're going to meet your destiny point when you join with your wife. And so much of myself has grown as a result of my wife, Trinea. And she supports me every step of the way. She challenges me. She allows me to keep everything in its proper perspective. And, yeah, she's my muse. She's someone I can talk to and think out loud with my stories. And there was a point in my life in which everything that I was trying to do writing-wise got shut down. I mean, got rejection letters after rejection letters after rejection letters. And I was pretty much about ready to give up, which for me to not write is for a part of my being to just not coexist. And she told me, do not give up. You are going to make it. There is greatness in you. And what she poured into me allowed me to try again. And from that, I got my book deal with Urban Christian. So you're looking at somebody who would be a very different person, who I don't know if I'll even be on the phone with you um, if it wasn't for her being there, speaking into my life. Now, at the same time on the flip side of the coin, I think she's got the best deal in town because I'm pretty I'm pretty awesome myself. But yeah, she's <laughs> she is she is something else. She is a phenomenal woman and as the scriptures say, a virtuous woman is a joy to her husband and she will always be exalted and that's that's tremendous. <laughs>
1: Gotten, you know She's gotten
2: sexier true. since she's had it, since she's had my first kid. She's gotten sexier, so that's yeah. the last <laughs> end note. <laughs> well,
1: well, you make sure you make sure that the to tell her that Brian and I said hello and uh, to keep doing what she's doing.
2: Thank you, thank you, brother. So you brothers keep doing what you're doing. It's amazing what you guys are doing.
0: Greg, I, I'm you. just gonna say this. Uh-oh. I could hear his smile on his face. <laughs> you know,
1: it, it, I'm, I'm telling you, it, it's nothing like, it's nothing like it. I mean, it's, it's nothing like having someone that's got your back, one hundred percent. And when you're at your lowest point, that person can just, you know, it, it. It really wouldn't have probably, it. It probably wouldn't have been the same if somebody else would have said, you know, young know, man, keep doing what you're doing, man. Like, keep writing your book. Who cares if they reject you? You keep doing it. It's a little bit different when that person said it and when your, when your better half says something like that.
3: Mm, yeah.
1: It's really, it's yeah. it, 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 it like it touches your soul almost. It just picks you up.
2: Yeah. So. so, yeah, there's nothing like it.
1: And I'm sure you do the same for her.
2: Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, we together are pouring into my um, six-month-old son, Caleb, and... Everybody thought about how he's a happy, loving baby, and that's because he was conceived out of love, and that's what we pour into him every day is love. So, and I
1: think I think Brian's son' name is similar. Am I correct, Brian?
0: My son's name is Kalen, K-A-L-O-N. Oh, okay. yeah. 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 You know, bro, we well, we're coming uh, close to the end of the show. I want you to give out your contact information and tell us a little bit about some of the upcoming uh, projects you have.
2: Okay, well, you can reach me at um, diornoss. dot webs. dot com. Now, my name is spelled D I J O R N M O S S. dot webs w e v s. dot com and Really, I live on Facebook, so just crunch my name in on Facebook. You will probably find me on it, and, you know, I would love to chat with you. As far as projects, I'm working on my next novel. I'm keeping that on their wraps. My focus right now is on promoting the retreat as well as the Home Again anthology that my wife and myself have been blessed to be a part of with Wanda Campbell and Dr. Linda and and so on and so forth, so... That's pretty much what what's going on with me. But I am always writing and always seeking to get better. And you know, definitely, you guys get be prepared because I'm going to definitely come back when my next novel come out. So I'm I'm in
0: this for the long haul. I hear that, and we'll uh, definitely have you back. You so you're hanging out with the Damascus Road office, huh? <laughs> oh yeah,
2: yeah. And you know, it's fitting because that to me is such a powerful. Moment in the Bible, the Damascus Road and the the experience and what that and what that encounters. So it just seems only right that I'm associated with the Damascus Road offers because that's what I'm trying to create with my books. So,
0: yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, I I, I I
0: yeah I told Doctor Bede and uh and we interviewed her last year and I think also the year before and I told her that. The direct that it should be something more like a Damascus Road movement mm. versus just being the authors. And so, you are actually part of that movement because you're a new extension to the Damascus Road office. <laughs> oh yeah, yes.
2: Yeah. So yeah, I'm a part of that, and I'm just excited, just moving onward and upward with that. So I'm very excited with what 2011 has to has to offer, and I just can't wait to see what's going to happen this year.
0: I can tell you, brother, you're going to do great things, great things.
2: Thank you very much.
0: And with that being said, you've been listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we ask that you come join us again next Wednesday, as we'll have another great and exciting show for you all. We bid you good evening, God bless you, and until next time, Good night.